your Bible to Exodus chapter 17. In a few moments, we're going to stand and read from the same portion of Scripture uh, from which we read this morning, but we're going to look at a different subject. This morning, we looked at how you can win life's battles. Tonight, I want you to think with me on this subject, teamwork, developing the winning combination. Teamwork, colon, developing the winning combination. Every one of us here is on some kind of a team, or usually we'll find ourselves on more than one kind of a team. And maybe some of those teams that you find yourself on, you really enjoy. And maybe some of the teams upon which you found yourself, you're not having very much success. The team is not having very much success, and I'm not talking about a ball team necessarily, although that might be a part of it. I'm talking about the team at work. I'm talking about your family team. I'm speaking of the team in your Sunday school class, the team in your church. Maybe you have friends. Maybe you are involved in some athletic endeavor. There's a team there. I'm talking about the, the staff that you work with or perhaps the, uh, the folks that you're around every day, the team that you have been assigned to. And so we're going to be thinking together about teamwork and how to develop the winning combination. I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, with your Bible open to Exodus chapter 17 to stand with me, and I want you to read aloud with me verses 12 and 13. And of course, you know the occasion here. If you were here this morning, Amalek, the Amalekites, have come to attack Israel. They are uh, one of the most insidious, uh, cruel, uh, one of the most uh, perverted groups of people ever to walk on the face of this earth. As a matter of fact, um, they disdained life in weakened forms. They would be the equivalent of the abortionist of this day. They came on the rear of the children of Israel. They found the people who were weak and who were sickly and who were uh, perhaps hungry and they would, they would make them their prey. And so these were the Amalekites. And God has a great deal to say in the Bible about the Amalekites. They were the sworn enemies of Israel. They were the descendants of Esau. In fact, Amalek was the grandson of Esau by means of Eliphaz. And so now we read about this event when the Amalekites come to attack the Israelites and Moses quickly makes Joshua a commander-in-chief. First time we hear about Joshua, he makes him a commander-in-chief, sends him down into the battle. He's got his troops, and they're fighting. Moses says, I'll go up on the side of the mountain, and I'll take this staff, I'll raise my hands toward heaven. And as he did, the Israelites would win. But when his hands grew tired and he would lower his hands, the Amalekites would win. And so let's read aloud what happened on that day. Verse 12, let's begin there, reading aloud together. You have your Bible open, and let's look at these verses if we can, please. All right? But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Teamwork. What are all these teams upon which you found yourself? It may be a team of two, you and your partner. 
You and your mate, your life's mate, your husband or your wife, you and your family, you and the folks with whom you work. This is your team. All right, how do you develop the winning combination? Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to the truths of the Scripture this evening. And Lord, I pray that not one of us would leave this place without being determined in our heart to be a better team player. Lord, not only at work, not only in our homes, but in our church as well. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you would show us the incredible power of teamwork. And I pray these things in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Thank you. Keep your Bible open because we're going to look at several verses in this 17th chapter of the book of Exodus. There are a great number of books to be found on the market today which have as their primary subject how to make things work, especially how to make things work in the marketplace. Now, there are a lot of books about how to make things work in the home. I can take you to religious bookstores and show you uh, dozens of books about how to get things to work together in the church. All of those book ha books have in their heart one subject, and that is teamwork. You're not working out there isolated. You're not the Lone Ranger. You're not just simply working by yourself. You'll never be all that you're supposed to be if you decide that all you're supposed to do is work alone. And so there's something about teamwork. You take uh, uh, two small hammers, place a big nail and a heavy board, and neither of those small hammers can drive it in very effectively. But if you could take those two hammers and somehow melt them down and mold them together and make one large hammer out of it, you can really slug that nail. I mean, you can drive it right into the board. Well, that's the power of teamwork. And so tonight we're going to be looking at teamwork. And I want you to take just a moment right now at the outset to think about the teams upon which God has placed you. By the way, we generally don't get to select our teams. Um, we're going to see that in just a few moments. You, you find yourself working all kinds of places with all kinds of people, and you didn't make this choice. Um, but somehow God made this choice, and you found yourself now employed by that company, or maybe you're the head of this corporation, or maybe you're the father or the mother in the family, or maybe you're the child, or you're in a class, or you're on an actual athletic team. So think about the teams that God has placed in your life. It could be a Sunday school class. Maybe you're part of a discipleship group. Maybe you're part of a leadership team. Maybe you're in a leadership group in this church, and God has put you in a specific leadership group. How do you function effectively? What if you are on a football team? I see some coaches here tonight. What if you're on a football team or a basketball team, baseball? How can that team really be all that it is supposed to be? How can you accomplish the maximum for the glory of God? All right, we're going to look at this issue of teamwork and how you can develop the winning combination. There are, I believe, four critical issues when it comes to developing the winning combination. Let's look at them. First of all, there is the issue of selection. Selection. Now, someplace there in the margin of your Bible or someplace there in your notebook, I want to encourage you to write down this statement. I, was, I must seek to work faithfully on the teams to which God assigns me. I must seek to work faithfully on the teams to which God assigns me. Now, I alluded to this just a few moments ago, 
But let me underline this in your thinking. Most of us do not have the privilege of, the, of selecting the team with which we are working. How does a pastor come to a church? God calls the pastor to the church. He comes because he's called of God, not because he says, well, I'd like to choose this church over that church. What about the place where you work? You say, well, there's a sense in which I, I've employed all the people. Let's say you're sitting as CEO of a corporation. You say, well, I, in one sense, have employed all these people. Well, that's very unique. It could be, though, that now you find some of the people that you have employed or that have been employed under your auspices are not the people you would prefer having on your team, but they're there. Or maybe you are one of the employees. Here you are. You're working for this company. Or you're on the faculty of this uh, school, or you're on the staff of this church. And there's a sense in which uh, you would love to have it so that everybody there was someone you had picked just specifically for you. But most of us find ourselves assigned on teams which have on them people that uh, maybe on one sense of the one time or the other, we would not have chosen. Now, the truth of the matter is, Moses didn't choose to be the leader of Israel. And Israel down in Egypt didn't vote to call Moses. And the truth of the matter is, uh, uh, when the Amalekites began to attack the Israelites, here was young Joshua over here, and Moses just singles him out as a young warrior, and he says, I want you to be the general. And so these soldiers didn't have a vote and say, well, if we're going to fight the Amalekites, we'd like to choose Joshua as our general. Moses just appointed him. And Aaron and Hur, if you look in the Scripture, they didn't choose the responsibilities which they had. And the key to teamwork is that you must discover what it is that God has called you to do and then work faithfully. You see, let, let, let me explain it this way. Inevitably... When a person comes to a new position, let, well, let me give you an example. Let's talk about a church staff. Uh, I've seen this. I've been here long enough at First Southern to see things like this happen. Uh, someone comes. They're excited. God's called them. Got a vision. Got an idea of ministry. And inevitably, they discover at some time or the other that, wait a minute, this is not the way it was at the church I left. Uh, at the church I left, I was allowed to do this, but here at First Southern, they have a different rule. Or at the church I left, I was not allowed to do this, but here at First Southern, they encouraged me to get really involved in that. And all of a sudden, a staff member, I don't care who the staff member is, all of a sudden, the staff member is going to say, wait a minute, I've got, I see this as sort of like a jigsaw puzzle. These are not little squares up here, and I just fit in this square. It's more like a jigsaw puzzle. And there's some places where I need to grow, and there's places where I need to restrain, restrain myself. But God has called me here. So what's my responsibility? My responsibility is to say, all right, God has called me to be a part of this team. I must work faithfully there. Now, that's not just true at First Southern. That's true in your family. You may not like the role assigned to you just now. You, you may not like all the players on your team. You may be saying, teenagers, well, you know, I wish I had my friend's dad or I wish I had my friend's mom or, or believe me, your parents are probably saying, I wish I had your friend's parents' kids. Um, but, you know, that's probably not, that's not too likely. But the point is, there come these moments in our life when we say, you know, if I had it to do myself, I would do this totally differently. 
I wouldn't pick this same place. I wouldn't pick these same people. I wouldn't pick this company. I, I will guarantee you there's not one person here working for a corporation who has not at some moment looked around and said, you know something? I wish that person was gone and the person I used to work with at that desk was here. Or I wish we could just, you know, move that whole, whole section out and get a whole new group of people. It's very interesting how people have a tendency to say, you know, uh, to their supervisors, you know, I've got an idea. Why don't you dismiss those people and get in here the people that, that I know and that I like and let me do what I want. But now the issue of teamwork is this. I am where I am. I'm in this family. I'm in this church family. I'm working. God has made this possible for me. And instead of my considering, all right, what other people can do for me, you see, most of us say, well, you know, teamwork, my idea is this. I assemble the team and they all work helping me succeed at what I want to do. When the reality is this, we all find ourselves on teams and the issue of selection is this. I must work faithfully on the teams to which God has selected, the teams which, to which God has assigned me. I'm going to be a faithful worker. Faithful father, faithful mother, faithful son or daughter, faithful student, faithful team player on this athletic team. It may not be exactly the way I want to do it, but the responsibility of mine is to be the most faithful person on the job. Number two, the issue of sensitivity. Write this down someplace. I must be sensitive to the value and the needs of each member of my team. Write it down again. I'm going to ask them to put this up on the TV screen so you can see it. I must be sensitive to the value and to the needs of each member of the team. I have discovered that most of us desire that others would be sensitive to our value, right? And that others would be sensitive to our needs. And we think, you know, if he just knew what a key player I was or they just knew what I could do or how important I was or they really just knew what I needed right now, I mean, and they would do that, this team would really function effectively. No, you'd just be getting what you wanted. Now look up here. I want to see everybody, right? We'll see the whites of your eyes just for a moment. This is the law of the harvest. Read it in the Scripture. The last chapter of Galatians be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, do you want people to be sensitive to you, to your needs, to your value? Then what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to sow into their lives sensitivity to their needs and to their value. Who is the most valuable person in winning this battle. Well, the mind naturally would run to Moses. We see him, you know, you've seen him in the, in the movies. You know, there he is up on the mountain, the rod of God in his hand. He's running the show, got his hands up. The Amalekites are being wiped out in the valley below. Man, Moses has got to be the most important person. But I want to tell you something. Moses wouldn't have done diddly if it hadn't been for Joshua. It was Joshua in the battle, Right? Well, you say, okay, maybe it was Joshua. Well, now wait just a second. Joshua couldn't have done anything if Moses hadn't have kept his hands up. And after a while, Moses got tired. So who was standing beside Moses? Well, Aaron and her. 
And somebody said, hey, look, let's get a rock. Let's have Moses sit on this rock. And Aaron, let's you and I hold up Moses' hand so they'll never be put down. And as long as they're up, you know what's going to happen. Israel is going to win over the Amalekites. We're going to win. What if Aaron and her, seemingly the least significant people, had not been sensitive at that moment? You see, every person in this picture was sensitive to the needs and to the value of the others. Joshua knew that he needed to do what Moses said. Moses knew that he needed to carry this thing before the Lord. Aaron and Hur knew that Moses, being a man, was going to get tired, and when he got tired, they need to be there to hold his hands up. I must be sensitive to the needs and to the values of other people on the team. I'll tell you how to destroy teamwork. It'll destroy it in a church. It will destroy it in a corporation. It will destroy it any place. It'll destroy it in your family. When someone gets the idea that he or she is the only indispensable factor on that team, that nobody else is of much value, that their needs are irrelevant, that the team revolves around them, when that happens... I want to tell you something, friends. Teamwork goes down the drain. Have you ever noticed how many of these professional quarterbacks, when they really get all the honors and the awards and the extra money, take the time to uh, applaud the other men, the guys who are out there who don't get any fame, don't get any acclaim, don't get any recognition. They're just out there getting their nose bloodied day after day after day to protect that quarterback. The quarterback is the first to run to those guys. Now, if he doesn't, he doesn't stay long, and the team doesn't succeed. I must be sensitive to the needs. What's going on in other people's lives? What's, what's happening to the people on my team? What's happening in their heart? What's happening in their families? I see a man back here tonight, Will, Jim Bowers. Jim uh, uh, was telling me earlier this week that there was a man that has worked for him, and he said he showed up at my house at 6.45, Jim. One morning he said he showed up at 6.45 this week, and he had fallen off a scaffolding, and Jim had said to him, you know something? I want to tell you something. God's trying to talk to you. And he said, well, I'm listening. And in a matter of minutes, Jim had the privilege of leading him to Jesus. Now, he could have said, okay, jump in the truck. Let's go to the hospital. Get yourself cleaned up. Get back on the job. I've got work to be done, right? But something like that ties hearts together. And that's what makes a team. When I am confident that you care about me and you are confident that I care about you, when I believe that you think what I do is important and when you have the confidence that I think what you do is important, then you've got a team. Then you've got real teamwork. And that happens in the family as well. Fathers destroy families by giving the impression that they're more important than anybody and they're to be served and you go get this and you do that and shut up and this is my house. Mothers can get that way. When they begin to boss people around and gripe and whine and complain and seek to be the center of their own little universe, children can destroy a family by coming in and pouting and shoving and saying, if I can't have it my way, nobody's going to have any fun, nobody's going to have any peace in this home. It can happen at work that way. And people will do outlandish things to help you see how important they are. Well, if they don't think I'm very important, I'll just quit. If they don't see my value, well, let's just see what happens if they go a day without my services. 
for there to be teamwork, there must not only be, you must not only address this issue of selection, you're probably not on a team that you chose. But let's also address the issue of sensitivity. I must be sensitive to the needs, what's going on in the heart, to the values of another person. All right? There's selection, there's sensitivity, there's satisfaction. This is a tough one. I must be satisfied to fulfill the specific role assigned me. I must be satisfied to fulfill the specific role assigned to me. What if Joshua had said to Moses, Moses, I know you're 80, but you know, you're pretty spry. Why don't you go down and fight the battle? And what if Moses had said, Aaron, her, would you hold up my hands? They said, no, we're not the hand-holding type, Moses. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much glory. We want to do something that's going to get us a lot of gl glory in this thing. You see, what made this whole thing work is that for once in Israel's experience, everybody was doing exactly what they were assigned to do. You know, um, sometimes we might not appreciate the assignment. I, I'll confess that as a pastor. Sometimes I don't appreciate the things that a pastor has to do. Sometimes I'll get home late at night, and then it's not but a few minutes, and I'm leaving again. And as I'm driving away, I'm not saying, hot diggity dog, this is great. I was, I, hey, I wanted to do this at 3 o'clock this morning. I was looking forward to this. Now, I'm not saying don't call me, uh, but I am saying this. There's some things that you, some, you just, you know, it's just not the, you know, love of your life. But why do you do that? Well, because what you do love is serving Jesus. And in order to serve Jesus, you've got to appreciate the role he assigns to you as a father, as a mother, as a student, as an athlete, as an employee, as an employer. You see, this whole issue of satisfaction, you've got to say, look, this is the role that has been assigned to me, and so I'm going to fulfill, I am going to be satisfied in fulfilling the role that has been assigned to me. Now, you may come to a point where you feel like you, you deserve a different role. Did you know something God probably knows before you get there that you deserve different role and the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water he can turn it whithersoever he will but I want to tell you something you're probably not going to get much attention from God or from anybody else until you get happy with your assignment let me let me give you an illustration of this when I was in seminary I pastored a wonderful church in Dallas Texas I think it was the smallest church in that association and uh, several men had pastored that over the years, uh, some whose names that you uh, might even know. And I commuted back and forth from Dallas, northwest, northeast Dallas, to uh, southwest Fort Worth every morning in order to go to school, came back every evening. Some of you all have heard about those commuting days. Ruff and Snow and I, in fact, commuted together during those days. And so, um, you know, I was at this church. And it was a wonderful experience for a, a seminary student. I mean, God blessed me. I, some of our friends still are people that we met in that church, and uh, we still think of them with a great deal of, uh, of joy. But after about two years, 
We went through a series of events there at the church. I mean, there was a downturn in the economy. They built all these apartments around our church. You could see our church from the freeway, but you could not see it from the next block over. Um, the population began to change. The demographics changed. The, the church began to experience some hard times. And, uh, you know, we weren't desperate or anything, but we weren't, just weren't growing like we wanted to grow. I mean, it was a small church anyway, and we were, instead of growing by dozens every week, we were growing by one or two or something like that, you know, every week. And it was just, it was just, it just got hard. And then in this church, there were people who had uh, remembered it when it was a small town church, not swallowed up by the Dallas community like it had become. So they had the small town church vision, and I didn't have the small town church vision, and others in the church didn't have the small town church vision. So I can remember some pretty uh, strong discussions with people about who would be in the church and how the church would operate. And it, it was not anything terrible. Well, it was just, it, it just, you know, it was not comfortable. And so I got dissatisfied. I mean, I got real dissatisfied. As a matter of fact, I just began to say, you know, sooner I leave, Lord, if you'll just call me away someplace else, I won't do this legitimately, decently. Sooner I leave, better off it be for them, better off it be for me. In the meantime, you know, God's blessing us. People are getting saved. We're just not, you know, setting the woods on fire. I'm running back and forth to seminary, forgetting that they're being tremendously tolerant of their pastor who's spending, you know, most of his days gone and trying to pastor the church at, at home at night. And uh, I began to ask the Lord to call me away from that place. I just said, you know, Lord, call. In fact, if you could have found the church, you know, about the size of a railroad hand car, and if they would have called me uh, away to be their pastor, I would have gone. And during that time, I had some friends who would come to me and say, Brother Tom, I recommend you to such and such church and to such and such another church and another church over here. And, you know, my adrenaline, I just think, this is it. God, you have rescued Jeannie and me from this church. But we never, we never got to go. Nobody ever talked to us. And God was strangely silent. We had a revival on our campus, and God began to move. And in the midst of that revival, God showed me the sin of a lack of contentment in, that, in my heart. That I was not content to be where God had put me, doing what God wanted me to do. And I remember talking with Jeannie about that. I remember with tears confessing to God the sin of not joyfully embracing the task he had assigned to me. And you know what happened? When God brought revival to my heart, when I confessed that and repented and of that and began to plow myself into that church, I began to love the people more. The people began to love me more. And as a matter of fact, it was a total surprise to me a year later when God called us to another church. In fact, I went sort of with my feet dragging. I just thought, you know, this, this can't, uh, this, this, these people are wonderful people. Now, it turned on this issue of being satisfied. And one of the things that creates big problems on any team is when you take the assignment God has given you and you say, I don't like it. When the wife doesn't want to be the wife, but wants to be the husband. When the husband doesn't want to hus be the husband, but he wants to be the boss or a king. When children want to be the parents. When the employer wants to be 
more of a despot, and the employee wants to be the employer. When the junior partner in the firm wants to be the CEO, when you are not satisfied with the role God has assigned to you, it destroys teamwork. So first, selection. I'm going to faithfully work on the team God has assigned to me. Sensitivity. My job here is to be sensitive to the needs and the values of others. Satisfaction. I must be satisfied to fulfill the responsibilities and the roles that God has assigned to me. Now, we get down to the tough one here. Support, the issue of support. I'm not talking about financial support here, although that might be a part of it. Here's the truth. Write it down. I must give myself to the support of each team member, realizing that my success is really dependent on theirs, and theirs is dependent upon mine. Let me say it again. I must give myself to the support of each team member, realizing that my success really is dependent upon their success, and their success is dependent upon mine. That is my, my successfully doing what God has assigned me. Now, let's look at this. The perfect picture here is Moses supporting the work of the armies in the valley by keeping his hands up. But then there are Aaron and Hur who are supporting Moses, holding his hands up. And then down there in the valley, there is Joshua who's really supporting the vision that God has given Moses to, to bring the children of Israel out and taking the assignment that he's been given. And the success of any one of those depended upon the success of all of them. You take one person out of that formula who decides just to be careless, who decides to be selfish, who decides they've got to have it their own way or it's not going to work. You take one person out of that and you watch the whole thing fall apart. It would have fallen apart without Joshua. It would have fallen apart without Moses. It would have fallen apart without Aaron. It would have fallen apart without her. You take one person out. One person who decides to do something in a half-hearted way. Suppose Aaron holds one hand up, but... Her but her doesn't hold the other one up. Suppose both of them say, well, we're going to do this for 15 minutes, but after that, we're going to put your hands down, man. You're going to have to do it on your own. Suppose Moses said, I'm just not willing to sit on this rock. Here, look, you guys take my rod. I'm going to go home and spend the night. But really, every one of these people, each one of these people had given themselves to supporting the others realizing that the success of the entire mission was dependent upon each of them doing the maximum, each of them living up their potential, each of them fulfilling the role that was assigned to them. So here's the truth. I've got to give myself to supporting each team member, realizing that my success is really dependent on theirs. If they don't succeed, I don't succeed. And if I don't do my work successfully, they can never succeed. There uh, came a moment in the history of Israel when three men, Korah, Dathan, 
and Abiram felt that Moses had taken a little bit too much on himself, a little too much authority, a little too much responsibility. And you can read about this elsewhere in the scripture. You can read how Korah and Dathan and Abiram came to Moses and they complained. They said, look, you're running the show. Moses said, hey, look, I didn't ask for this job. And beside that, God has given you some specific responsibilities. Are those responsibilities not enough? And they said, no, we want a part of the action. We want your job. And Moses knew that teamwork was so important for Israel to succeed in the wilderness. For 40 years, teamwork was incredibly important. Moses said, all right, guys, line up in front of your tents, you and your families, and we'll see what God thinks about your refusal to support the other members of your team. It's one of the saddest days in the history of Israel because the next morning, God came down, the ground opened up, those men and their families fell into the ground and the ground closed up over them as God's way of saying, I'll not let anything destroy teamwork in the family of God. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, you got somebody who doesn't want to be out on the team, cast out the scoffer and strife will cease. Because people who do not want to be on the team do what? They scoff. They say, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. That's not the way to No, I could do a better job. I don't want my role. I should be the one to do that. Cast out the scoffer, he says. It doesn't say go to him and counsel him. He says, you find somebody that has an idea that, that their personal ambitions are greater than the general good of the team, cast him out. You know what he said you'll find? Strife will cease. Teamwork. It's got to be there. It's the, it's the winning combination. So what do you do? You realize, number one, this issue of selection. You probably didn't just choose every team your own. That's okay. Work faithfully on the teams God has assigned to you. That family, that job, that church, that class, whatever it is you're doing, work faithfully. The issue of sensitivity. It's not begging people to, hey, look at me, poor me. It's saying, look, what are your needs? What value do you have? I'm going to be sensitive to those. This whole issue of of sensitivity is such an important issue. Support. I'm going to support other people because to the extent that I do that, they're going to succeed. When they succeed, I succeed. Dad, you know how to be a great dad? Do everything you can to assist your children and your wife in the fulfillment of their godly aspirations. You know how to be a great son or daughter? Do everything you can to assist your your mom and dad in fulfilling their godly responsibilities given to them. You want to know how to be a great person where you work? Look around. Find what it is that people are supposed to be doing. Figure out how you can help them achieve their highest goals. And by helping them achieve their goals, you'll succeed as well. Teamwork. It has to be there. It's the winning combination. There are a lot of 
churches in the world. There are some churches that just never seem to get this truth. There are a lot of families in the world. There are some that just never catch it. There are a lot of places of employment in this world. And there are just some employees who never get the vision or the picture. That it's really teamwork, isn't it? That's the winning combination. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will take the truths of your word, write them across our heart this evening. Lord, I believe that in this congregation tonight, there are some who would say, you know something? I've not been the kind of team player I ought to be. I've been thinking about me. I've been thinking about what I need, what other people ought to do to help me succeed, that if they were really on the team, they'd make me look good. When the truth of the matter is, Lord, I need to be thinking about them, their needs, their value, their ministries, their jobs, their assignments. Lord, I pray that there would be an intense level of teamwork generated continually in this church. God, you know that is my prayer. But that it would also happen in the families represented here tonight and the heart of every employee and employer and the heart of every student and the heart of every athletic team member, the heart of every choir member, Sunday school teacher, Lord, that we would see the incredible potential of teamwork. Now, Lord, bless the truths of your word to our lives. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to give a specific invitation this evening. Maybe you've thought about some of the teams that uh, you found yourself on in your home. What kind of a team player are you in your home? Whose needs would you like to see your family revolve around? Yours? Whose desires would you like to see constantly accomplished in your family? Yours? Or have you given yourself and your family unstintingly to helping the others who are there achieve their highest, most godly goals, their greatest holy aspirations? What about work? Is that something you do begrudgingly and you think, you know, if they just let me get in charge of that thing, I'd straighten them out and it'd work so well? Because after all, I'm, I'm look at my position and I just need to be freed up to do that. And yet, all of a sudden, God's shown you, you know something? I put you on that team and I put you in that place on that team. And there's no sense in me getting involved in any advance in your life whatsoever till you get happy in fulfilling the role I have assigned to you could be that what you need to do tonight is to get to this altar and say, Dear Lord, you've shown me something about my life in my home and at work. It could be in school. Maybe you're on a football team. And maybe you just said, Hey, the team ought to revolve around me. If the coach would just see or if others would just see, I, you know, if they would just turn me loose. And the reality is what God wants you to do is to take the role he's assigned to you, but yet to be sensitive to the value and to the needs of others. And you're, you're free to be sensitive to their value. You're free to be sensitive to their needs. You're free to help them all you will. The question is, will you at work on that team in the home? 
And so I'm going to ask you this night specifically when the invitation is given. If God has shown you something about your approach to teamwork that is wrong, that needs correction, and you are willing tonight to say, Dear Lord, I want that to be altered in my life. I want to be sensitive. I want to be supportive. I want to understand the, what's going on in the lives of other people. I want to see that you've put these people in my life. I want to be satisfied with what you've given me, and I want to do the best I can with it. Would you come to this altar? Would you humble yourself before God? Ask God to give you the grace to be a real team member. Now, I believe that there's some people here this evening to whom the Lord's speaking about joining this church. What a wonderful team to be a part of, frankly. And we would welcome you with open arms as a family, as an individual. And these counselors are going to be standing. They'll be here in this center aisle on either side. And, and they'll be here to meet you when you come forward and just say to them, look, I want to join this church. I want to be on this team. And uh, we would welcome you with open arms. And I believe there are always people in the congregation who have come with this troubling awareness that things are not right. Like this young lady said in the restaurant today, you know, I'm not at peace. I need peace. I need a sense of direction in life. She said, I don't know what's right when I read. I don't know how to know what's right to do. And you see, Jesus can solve that in your life. You might be like that man that showed up and said, look, I'm listening. God's been speaking to me, but I'm listening now through the events of my life. He's caused me to listen, and I know that he's calling me to him. Dear friend, did you know that you can have peace with God before you leave this place? You can have your sins forgiven. You can have eternal life. You can be cleansed of sin. You can be freed from the dominion, the hold that sin has on you. You can be freed from that tonight. Would you do that? How does that happen? By trusting in Jesus. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them who believe on his name. Would you do that tonight? Just believe on Jesus. Trust in him. Receive him by faith as your Savior, as the Lord of your life. Would you do that tonight? Some people are already coming to this altar. Would you stand? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Father in heaven, how I pray, trusting that at this time of invitation, people would come to receive Christ. I pray that people would come to this altar, Heavenly Father, to say, God, you've convicted me and I'm kneeling here because I want to be on the team. I want to do it right, Lord. I've missed it. I've missed the whole picture. I want to do it right. Father, bring to this altar people who join this church, people who trust Jesus as their Savior. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit sherwoodbaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from a study Bible, please visit rondunn.com.